All right, let's go. Let's get to our passage today. It comes from Matthew chapter seven, verse twelve. Um, I was very tempted to actually skip this verse today. I was going to go straight to the next passage, but then I realized this week that I actually skipped this verse, and I was like, "Oh, why did I skip it?" And then all of a sudden, I started to study it on Monday, and I was like, "Oh, wow, this is pretty. This is pretty big." So I decided to dedicate a whole sermon to one verse once again. So you know, but. Uh, as opposed to before, I apologize that I preach so long so often, but I hope today is a little bit more reasonable. Okay, let's read the word of God together. It says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Once again, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the journey that you've been taking us upon in this sermon Lord, we pray that you would just continue to open up our hearts to hear your voice and God, to give us a desire to want to love you, to follow after you. God, help it not just to make sense, but God, quicken our hearts that all we would want to do is to live it and to live for you and to make you happy with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So how many of you guys have heard this particular verse before? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Show of hands. Yeah, a lot of us, right? Um, you know, a lot of people in this world, they call it what? The golden rule. Have you ever heard that? This is called the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's probably one of the most famous verses that non-Christians actually know and quote all the time. A lot of people even say that this particular verse, the golden rule, is like the Mount Everest of you know social ethics. You know, of all ethical teaching, this is like the Mount Everest. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And the reason why that this verse is so highly praised is because it's actually absolutely revolutionary. You know, many, many religious teachers in history and many, many, many like famous moral teachers in history, they've, they always quoted something that's very, very similar to this wisdom. It's actually written in so many religious books. You know, pick up anyone, you'll find something similar. However, in every other moral teaching or in every other religious teaching, they actually teach this particular verse in the negative. Don't do to others what you would never want them to do to you. Right, but uh, Jesus comes along, and then he turns this teaching absolutely upside down. Right, he he says it in the affirmative instead of the negative. Do to others as you would have them do unto you. And with that statement, our whole perspective of social ethics gets completely flipped upside down. But in my opinion, the most revolutionary part of this particular verse. And this particular phrase is what follows it, right? He says that Jesus says this whole phrase, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus says that that, can, that actually sums up all of the law and the prophets. You guys remember that phrase, the law and the prophets? We studied that phrase back, two chapters back, actually, in Matthew 5, verse 17. Let's read that together. It says, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to... Fulfill them. And here we said that this phrase, the law and the prophets, Jesus is summing up. He says this phrase sums up the whole Old Testament, all the laws, all the prophets. That's the whole Old Testament. Jesus then went on to say that he is actually the fulfillment of all the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's the fulfillment of all scripture. And what he's saying is that all of scripture from Genesis to Revelation not only points to Christ, 
but is all about Christ, right? Which means that this particular command, if it's the summary of all the law and the prophets in Scripture, means that this command is all about Christ as well. And the whole point of the ser- and if the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we've been studying for the past like few months, six months, if the whole point of the Sermon of the Mount is not only to receive the righteousness of Christ, but to be able to live it out for Christ, then this particular command is what our lives should look like if we are truly followers of Jesus Christ. Do you guys get that? There's a lot of ifs. But do you guys get that? Do you guys get the, you know, a lot of those if-then statements? Okay, good. This is basically, this is what your life should look like if you're a true follower of Christ. That's what it's saying. If you are, if you're, if you're someone who has a relationship with Christ, if you're someone who's living out his righteousness, if you are, if you're truly in the kingdom, this is what your life should look like. And so this, that's what it's saying. And, and Jesus is sharing this with us because we're nearing the end of the sermon. And he's saying, now that we're nearing the end, I just want to give you this verse to make sure that, you know, just to kind of give you like a reality check. Are you really in the kingdom? Is the Sermon of the Mount really getting through to your life? Are you really giving yourself fully to Jesus and living for his glory? This verse will help you realize if you are or not. And if you are, that's a great confirmation. And, and it's here so you can be encouraged and it's here so you can be joyful about your life and the things that God's doing. But it's also like if you look at your life and you're not following Christ, then it's a good time for you to realize, hey, what parts of my life really need to, you know, change? Do I need to change to align myself to what Christ wants for me? So that's what this verse is all about. Are we cool? We guys, we understand that? So that's where we're going here. So today's passage, this one verse is actually a summary of everything that Jesus has preached so far in the Sermon on the Mount. Can you believe that? It is one verse. And if that's the case, then today's message and today's sermon will also be a summary of everything that we've preached so far in the past six months. That's a big task, isn't it? It's a big promise, but I make big promises up here, but I don't know if I actually deliver. But we're going to try to get through that, okay? And trust me, I'm not going to do every little detail of every single sermon, but I'll give you the big picture, just like Jesus wants us to do. Our verse today starts out really interesting. It says, so in everything... This is what we're supposed to look like. In everything, this is what our lives are supposed to look like, which means that in every aspect of our lives, from our work to our relationships, you know, to our bank accounts, Jesus says this is what a follower of Christ is supposed to look like. Everything is supposed to be about this. So the big question that I want you to ask ask yourselves today, this is the only question that's on the line today, is does my life look like this? Okay? That's it. Does my life look like what we're going to talk about in the next 20 minutes? And that's it. That's the only question that's on the line today. Jesus is saying here that there are two marks of a true believer that's revealed in this verse. These marks prove that you are truly connected to Christ and following Christ the way he always intended us to follow him. And here's the first mark of a true believer. The first mark is that we depend on Christ for everything. Right? We depend on Christ for everything. Do you guys see that in the verse? I don't see that in the verse. Yeah, I know. It's kind of not there, but it is there. And we'll get to that. I'll get there in a, in a roundabout manner, but it's actually there. You know, the reason why this particular teaching, this golden rule, is absolutely revolutionary is because it's impossible to live out. That's why it's revolutionary. It's actually impossible to live out. You know, I said the previous religious teachers and previous moral teachers said in the past said this actual piece of wisdom in the negative, right? Don't do to others what you would never want them to do to you. The thing is, the reason why they say it that way is because those things are actually doable. 
There, it's actually possible to live out those things, right? Just don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. So if you don't ever want to get hit, don't hit anybody else. If you don't want to be, you know, laughed at, don't laugh at anybody else. If you don't want to be hurt, don't hurt anybody else. See, doable, easy. Well, maybe not easy, but doable, right? It's very, it's very, it's reason. And the reason why it's doable is because human beings always operate selfishly. Did you ever notice that? You know, human beings always operate selfishly. I don't want to be hit, so therefore I won't hit others, right? It's always about me. I don't want to be hit, so therefore I'm not going to hit anybody else. And when we are the starting point and the goal of morality, we'll always be successful because it's always about us, right? This command is totally possible. But try doing the command in the positive, the way Jesus commands us. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And you're going to quickly realize, any human being will quickly realize that this is something that we cannot do successfully. We can't. You know, maybe we can do it once, or maybe we can do it like a few times in our lives, but there's no way we can do this for the, with our whole lives, for the rest of our lives. And the reason why, it's for the same reason why it's doable to do it in the negative. It's because we're always at the center of our lives. We're always the starting point, and we're always the goal of everything that we do, and that's what messes us up. The only way that this particular command can be accomplished within our lives is if we dedicate our whole minds if all of our minds and all of our hearts are entirely dedicated off of ourselves and completely focused upon 100% of the time on the needs, the hopes, the wishes, the dreams of other people. And then if we dedicate our lives to fulfilling those needs and actually ministering those needs to other people, that's the only way this command can ever be accomplished. Now, the thing is, no matter how loving you think you might be, you can't do that. 100% of the time. No one operates like this. And even if they do, they can't do it their whole lives, you know? You know, whenever I think about parents, parents are the ones that love their children the most. You know, I think the purest love that exists sometimes is between a mother and her child. But even every mother you talk to, right, even in our church, they're like, dude, I want a break. You know, they always want a break. They, they don't want to see their kid anymore, you know, at least at least one hour a day. You know, they need a break. They want to take a break from that kind of love. And so with that fact in hand, Jesus here is actually addressing the true nature of morality, isn't he? You know, the problem with talking about morality today is that we're always comparing imperfect beings with imperfect beings. Me against you. Me compared to you. But how can we know if something is morally correct unless there's an accepted standard? The reason why the golden rule is so highly praised is because God is giving us that standard in this phrase, right? Through it, imperfect beings like us realize that true morality can only be found in perfect holiness. And therefore, it proves that all human beings are imperfect against that holy standard. And so when Jesus says that in everything that we must, you know, that this is what we must do, he's saying that in order for us to go to heaven, we need to live out a perfect holiness. We need to live out our lives perfectly holy if we want to get into heaven. This was the thrust of the teaching back in Matthew chapter 5 when he said that he was a fulfillment of the law. And this is the thrust of our passage today. This is the reason why he's revisiting it so that he can remind us what it really takes to be his, what it really takes to be a child of God, what it really takes to be a follower, and what it really takes to go to heaven. He's saying it takes perfect holiness. But we just said that that was impossible, didn't we? 
But let's pretend, just for a moment, just to be clear on this point, let's pretend for a moment that it was possible for a human being to live out the golden rule, for the human being to actually live this out perfectly. That's a big if, but let's pretend. Then this is what would happen to that person. Let's say you were that person. When you die, what you could do is when you die, you'll, be, you'll find yourself in heaven. You, what you can do is you can rock up, straight, you can walk straight up to the throne room of God, tell him to like, you know, move aside, right? And, and sit on the throne. And you turn to God and you say, you know, God, dude, that was like a, that was a huge gauntlet you just threw down. Right? You demanded perfect holiness. You demanded that I operate my life, in, my life in perfect love. You know, you said that I was supposed to live out a perfect righteousness. Wasn't hard. I mean, sorry, wasn't easy. But I did it. I totally did it. And now look at me. I'm as perfect as you are. You can say that to God. And then because I'm as perfect as you are, God, therefore all this heaven stuff is mine, isn't it? And the whole universe is mine. So me and you, because we're both perfect, like, well, let's rule this thing together. You can say that to God. Because Jesus says here that perfection is what buys that for us. Right? Perfection is what gets us in. But on the other hand, if a man sees that he cannot live up to that perfect standard, then he's got to admit that he's not like God in any way. And that he doesn't deserve to spend, you know, heavenly perfection with God for an eternity. But what he does deserve is what? Divine judgment. Right? Does that make sense? That's what this is saying. But this is where the good news of the gospel comes in. And this is the whole reason why Jesus Christ is repeating this verse right here at the end. Right? The whole reason why he's doing this is to remind us that there is another way. Since we can't live out a perfection that is equal to God's, God sent someone who can actually give that perfection to us, and that is Jesus Christ. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world so that he could live a perfect life. Jesus was God, perfectly God in the flesh. Jesus was God's perfect, holy standard in the flesh. And so when that perfect standard died upon the cross, he died for the sins of all men perfectly. He paid the price for all the sins of man perfectly. But Jesus also did something very absolutely wonderful upon the cross. The moment that we put our faith in Christ, God said, you can now be clothed with Jesus's perfect righteousness in exchange for your sins. And, and the reason why he does that is that so that from that point on, God could see us as perfectly holy. We can actually be declared perfectly holy. And that's what gets us into heaven, right? And you'll find all throughout Scripture and in the rest of the New Testament that God says that we are not only co-heirs to the kingdom, but we're also co-regents, co-rulers of that kingdom together with God. It's going to be awesome. And this is what Jesus Christ is sharing with us. And the best part of that gospel is that God did that because he loves us. And he wants to live in that relationship with us for eternity. The only way to have that relationship with God is to depend upon Christ for forgiveness. To depend upon what Christ did for us upon the cross and through the resurrection. Right? We call that dependence faith. Because we can't save ourselves. We need to trust in what Christ did 
for us. And then in the same way, the only way to live out his perfect righteousness is also through dependence upon Christ alone. Only someone who is fully depending upon Christ to live out his righteousness actually gets and receives all the blessings that the Sermon of the Mount actually promises by asking, seeking, and knocking. And we talked about that last week. But more importantly, the greatest thing that we talked about is that we get Christ himself. We get Christ himself in increasing measure when we fully depend our lives upon Christ for everything. You know, when I first became a Christian, uh, I just knew. I just knew that my life was, I was called to be a Christian. And what that meant is that we were supposed to depend upon Christ for everything. And so that's what I did. You know, and I tried to depend on Christ for every little thing in life, no matter how small, no matter how stupid. That's what we tried to do. Were you guys like that when you first became a Christian, that you would just depend upon Jesus for everything? You know, I remember when I, when I first became a Christian, uh, I remember this very clearly. I walked into McDonald's. It was like within the first like month or two, I became a Christian. And I'm just standing there staring at this beautiful menu of everything that that wonderful restaurant offers us. But I was just frozen because, you know, I'm like, God, I was praying. I was like, God. Do you want me to have the Big Mac or the filet fish God, tell me. You know, and I was very serious. I was very serious. I don't want to do anything that you don't tell me to do. I want to eat what you want me to eat. God, you got to tell me. Did you ever pray like that? Were you ever like that as a Christian? You know, it's totally silly. Isn't it? You know? It is silly. But I miss that heart. I miss that heart that just wanted to depend upon Christ for like everything. I miss that dearly. God doesn't care whether you eat a Big Mac or a Quarter Pounder. He doesn't. But what I learned over the years is this, as a Christian, every single time that I choose to make a decision apart from depending upon Christ, or every single time I choose not to depend upon Christ for like my relationships, that's when I consciously take one step away from Jesus. You know? That's me conscientiously, consciously taking one step away from Jesus. And I'm not talking about living for Christ. We can live for Christ without being connected to Christ. But what I'm talking about is we're taking one step away from him. What we lose the most when we choose not to live a life of dependence upon Christ is him. And And the longer you live your Christian life apart from that relationship with him, That's another day that we live not becoming righteous like Christ, but that's a day that we live becoming more religious apart from Christ. You know, when we, without that relationship, our faith actually starts to rot. And that's what we we weren't saved for that. You know, we were saved for the relationship. That's keeping the main thing, the main thing. And so if you've let that happen in your life, let's, let's stop that today. Let's return to Christ. Let's live lives of dependence. And let's spend our days enjoying him. Let's live lives that are totally dependent upon Christ for everything. The second mark of a true believer is that we love others in everything. So in our verse today, Jesus says that in everything do to others as you would have them do unto you. Why? Because we said before, because this sums up the law and the prophets. You know, we actually studied another passage where Jesus sums up the law and the prophets. Do you guys remember that one? We did too. That one's found in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. 
where Jesus says this, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So our verse today, you know, seven verse, you know, chapter seven, verse 12, our verse today is a parallel verse to the second greatest commandment, isn't it? Right? To do to others as you would have them do to you is exactly the same as loving your neighbor as yourself. And if that's true, then the command today is to love your neighbor as yourself in everything. That's what Jesus is telling us today. So but what does that mean? What does that look like within our lives? And this is what I, and I thought really long and hard about this one. And I just thought, okay, here, this is how I can clearly explain that to you. It means that as people who are perfectly loved by God, we now make it our life's mission to demonstrate God's love to all the people that we know. Or we demonstrate God's love to others in all that we do. Right? But how do we know what God's love looks like? You know, well, he shares that with us in Romans 5, 8. God actually demonstrated that love for us. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what does God's love look like? Well, the first thing that this verse tells me is that God's love pursues sinners. Right? God's love is a pursuit of others. God's love is someone who pursues others. And then what does he do? He recognizes the needs of other people. And then what does he do? He makes plans to care for those needs. And then what does he do? He sacrifices his greatest son, or his only son, to meet those needs of sinners. That's what this verse is telling us, isn't it? That God pursued sinners. He saw what we needed. And he saw, he said, hey, I think we can take care of those needs in my son if I sacrifice him. And therefore, he met his needs through the sacrifices of his own Son. God's love is an active pursuit of people, isn't it? God's love is a call to action. God is love and love is action. So it means that all of us, if we want to, you know, model God's love to this world, it means that all of us are called to pursue sinners. All of us are called to pursue people. What are we supposed to do with them when we pursue them? Well, we recognize what needs they have. And then we strategize. What can I do to care for this person's needs? And then we make the choice to sacrifice things in our life to actually meet those needs. That's what it means to love others the way God loved us. Am I right? All right. It's tough. I know it's getting heavy, right? And everyone's getting a little uncomfortable. But that's exactly what it's saying. In that way, we reflect the love that we've been shown within our lives. That's exactly what God did for us. And that's all he's calling us to is to do that for others. And in that way, we worship Christ through our lives. And in that way, what we do actually practically on earth is that we actually demonstrate in a very real way the living gospel of Jesus Christ to other people, which is the golden rule. And when we choose to make our lives about what? Loving God and loving others exactly what we've been commanded to do, then God uses our lives to bring people to him. About eight years back or nine years back, there was a video on YouTube that went totally viral. It was so simple. You know, maybe times were more simple back then on YouTube, but you know, it, was totally, it went totally viral. It was about this New York cop and he wasn't that rich, but he was just walking the beat, I think somewhere near Times Square. 
And he sees a homeless man who has all these blisters on the bottom of his feet. And it's kind of in the wintertime. And so, you know, his heart just breaks. And so what does he do? He walks into a nearby store and he buys a pair of wool socks and he buys a pair of boots and he buys it for this homeless man. The thing is, this guy, and this, this New York cop is not very rich. $75 it cost him U.S. And, you know, that's a lot of money for a guy who still lives with his parents. You know, so that's who he is. But the reason why this video went so viral is because people were just overwhelmed with his compassion and his generosity. You know, people were actually amazed and warmed by someone living out the golden rule. I, I mean, if you saw a video like that today, maybe it's still powerful. But that thing went viral. And I think people were just amazed that, wow, look at this guy living out the golden rule within his life. What does that teach us? What's the point? The point is that when Christ's love is actually demonstrated to others, when we actually do what we're most uncomfortable about and what we, what we feel most negatively about, about the golden rule, when we actually choose to live that out like God did for us, then it makes people in this world actually notice the divine in us, doesn't it? And that's what's powerful. It awakens people to the divine in this world. World. In our verse today, Christ is saying is that what Christ is saying is those who have been divinely loved now carry the mandate to love others divinely. This is what God is calling us to. Right? Christ is calling us to pursue others, see their needs, make plans to care for those needs, and then choose to make sacrifices to meet those needs. And when Christ says that we are to love others in everything, that means that we are to use and leverage our careers, our relationships, you know, our resources to live out this mandate, just like this cop did in his life. But it's that in everything part that's the most difficult, isn't it? Are you serious? Are we supposed to live? In, you know, does, does God actually call us to give, a, to give him everything? Is like, you mean like, Every relationship that I have, all my resources, you know, my family, my job, my career, my future, I mean, like everything. Are we called to like love everybody on this earth? Does he mean like everyone? Those are the questions of a sinful heart, right? But that's all of us. I have those questions too. Praise God. Jesus answers that question, all those questions in the parable of the Good Samaritans. A long parable. I'm not going to read it to you, but let me sum it up for you. Jesus tells this story of a Samaritan who's like the mortal enemy of all these Jews. They were racially just mortal enemies. But one day this Samaritan sees a Jew who's been robbed and totally like beaten up. He's like unconscious on the side of the road. But without hesitation, this Samaritan literally like crosses every boundary. You know, without hesitation, he like crosses every boundary, race, religious, social, financial, to demonstrate love to this Jew. And the obvious point that Jesus makes in this parable is what? There are no boundaries to God's love. God crossed every boundary to show us his love. Therefore, if we are called to demonstrate God's love and the same quality of love that he showed us to this world, then there can be no boundaries in our love that we choose to show. You guys get that? God wants everything. He deserves everything. And if you think about it, 
Everything is the reason why your heart was captured by God, wasn't it? It's because you knew God gave you everything. That's the reason why your heart was captured by the gospel. What you need to understand is this world needs everything. Everything is what the world needs. And that's why God calls us to give everything to him. But I can make it a little bit more practical, okay? I, um, I read this one quote from a very famous pastor this week. And he said this, he said, uh, he defined loving our neighbor as one whose needs you see and one whose needs you can meet. That's pretty simple, isn't it? If you see it and you can meet it, go do it. That's it. If you don't see it, you don't need to meet it because you don't see it. So it's very simple. If you see someone in need and you can actually meet that need, just go do it. Don't think, don't think too much. Just go do it. You know, that's exactly what God is calling us to. So if you see somebody shivering in the cold, don't, don't, don't be cold back and say, oh, you know, I'll pray for you. <laughs> don't do that. Go buy him a jacket or go give him a jacket, you know, and that's it. Meet that person's need, just like Christ did for us. Do you know what the saddest part of the story is, that the, the parable of the Good Samaritan story. Do you know what the saddest part of that story is? Here's the saddest part of the story. The saddest part of this story is that it's the non-believer who's showing God's love to the believer. That's the saddest part of this story. See, Jesus Christ is preaching this parable to like the Jewish religious leaders, basically the church. And the saddest part of the story is this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying it's so sad that why is it that non-believers many times live out much more faithfully what we should be doing with our lives. Right? Isn't that true? Right? Church people might be good at going to church, but we need to get so much better at loving our neighbors and being like Christ to this world. This world needs everything. So let's become better lovers. Let's be men and women of action. Let's be men and women of compassion. Let's be men and women of generosity. You know, let's be men and women of sacrifice. Let's give ourselves so this world can know how awesome and beautiful Jesus is. Why? Because that's who Christ is. That's what this world needs, and that's who we are called to be. Love others in everything. You know, Christ says in our passage today that if we are truly believers who follow Christ, we must depend upon him in everything and love others in everything. These are like the two hardest things for human beings to do, right? We think church is all about coming to meetings and studying the Bible and coming to a prayer meeting or like, you know, what is, things like that. It is. But Jesus says the real religion, the heart of what he's all about and the heart of what we're all about is what? Fully being dependent upon him for all things to show that he is worthy to give ourselves fully to. That's worship, man. That's why we depend upon God for everything. And secondly, if we truly know how awesome and how wonderful and worthy God is, and if we know that we have been loved with the greatest of loves, then our hearts and our minds should be convinced that the only way to express that joy is to show and to practice that love to the rest of this world. This is what God did for us through Jesus Christ. And this is what he's calling us to. This is what Christianity is. So the big question today is, does your life look like that? Did the Sermon on the Mount actually get to you? It's tough. 
If so, great. You know, let's continue to enjoy Christ. Let's continue to love others, give ourselves fully to him, depend upon him for all things, and then share that with everyone else in this world with everything that we have. But if not, if all of a sudden you look at your life and you, hey, you know, there are certain parts that kind of match up, but there are certain parts that don't, then this is our opportunity here to say, okay, God, help me to live out my faith the way you want me to. Not the, not the ones that I want to pick and choose about Christianity, not the things that I want to make my Christianity about, but the things that you say is most important to you, which in my opinion is probably the hardest stuff, right? The big picture hardest stuff. Am I pursuing sinners? Am I going after people? Am I, do, am I making plans to show this world the gospel of Jesus through my life? Am I, am, I, am I planning sacrifices so that other people can know Jesus and encounter Christ through me? Am I leveraging my career to do that? Am I leveraging the money and my resources in my bank account to do that? It's the tough stuff, but it's the real stuff. Jesus says these are the two marks of a true follower. Let's be this, right? Let's not pick and choose what we want to be in Christian in our Christianity. But let's be who God calls us to be as Christians. Let's pray. Once again, the whole reason for this verse, the biggest thrust of this verse is so that people, if you're not, if you don't know God, if you don't have a relationship with God, Jesus Christ came so that you could have a relationship with God. God wants you. God wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to be reconnected with you. Sin broke that relationship, so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for the penalty for those sins. He saw you, he looks at you now, and he wants to be in relationship with you. He realizes your greatest need is to be forgiven and to have the perfect righteousness of Christ. So he sent his son to die for you upon that cross, to pay the penalty for your sins, and then to offer his righteousness to you. We can have that if we put our faith in what Jesus Christ did for us upon the cross 2,000 years ago and through his resurrection. Can I invite you, if there's anybody here who has never given their lives to Jesus, will you do that today? Will you repent of your sins? Will you ask for his forgiveness? And will you surrender your life to live for his glory and righteousness today? That's what you were created for. You were created to walk with God. You were created to have a relationship with him. Won't you do that today? If you've never done it, put your faith in Jesus Christ today. For others who might be believers here, for those who have been divinely loved, you now carry this mandate to love others divinely. Will you make your life? Maybe there's parts of your life that you haven't surrendered yet to live for others, to love others with, to reveal the gospel to. Will you do that today? Will you surrender your career, your relationships, your resources to show this world how worthy and awesome and beautiful Christ is? Let's do that. Let's live lives of love and action so this world can experience God's love through us. Let's do that. Let's pray. Lord, help us to live our faith.
come to know you through our lives, Father. We want to experience you deeply through our lives. Father, we want to see you. Just we want to be used, God, to show people on this world. Lord, so teach us, train us how to surrender our resources, to surrender our wishes, surrender those things, Father, that they be yours, tools in the Master's hands, Lord, that we'll use so that we can follow after. Help us to be a church, God, that follows you that way. thank you so much once again for this verse we went through this whole sermon on the mount and father we went through a lot of eternally great teachings and we thank you god that here once again we can be reminded of what really counts lord if there are people here who are not yet saved who are not in relationship with you won't you just speak to them continue to reveal yourself to them god so that they might surrender their lives to you live for you truly live for what they were created for and who they were created for. And God, for all those who are Christians here, it's such a difficult road, but you never said it was going to be easy. Lord, help us to desire to live our faith out in a way that you said we should live it out, not in ways that we want to live out, where we pick and choose the parts of the Christianity we want and like, but God, to live out the Christianity that you always had designed for us. Help us to live out our faith your way so that you might be exalted, so that you might be seen and encountered through us, and God, so that you might be glorified through our lives. That's what we want the most. So Father, make this church about people who want it, who want that the most and who make those types of decisions, those hard decisions, those completely sacrificial decisions in their lives for you and for your glory. God, make Full Life Ministry a church that just wants to live out what you died for with all that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.